0: When I was eight years old, my family lived in a small little town in the upstate of South Carolina, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I went to Bowling Springs Elementary School. In case you just want to picture it, and my teacher in third grade was Miss Artison. and we had a on again, off again sort of relationship in third grade. And uh, um, that sounded weird. It's not how I meant it. Um, <laughs> Cole, We won't put this on the podcast. Um, sometimes we got along, sometimes we didn't, and and uh, just as teacher to student and. It was in that third grade class that I had a best friend, his name was David Lowry, and uh, David was so cool. Just he and I were best friends for a few years, and we made this commitment that part of being best friends was that we were going to try to be just alike in everything that we did, including if one of us liked a girl, the other was going to all of a sudden like that girl as well. Like that's how like best friends we wanted to be, which is problematic. We understood that as we got older, but in third grade, it doesn't matter. So I remember in third grade, we we both had this this crush on this this girl in our class, and it was in that third grade class in Spartanburg, South Carolina, that I got. A master's class in just the way that the world understands and deals with love and so i remember david and i we we both liked this girl krista Maccabees, in case you're curious that was her name and you know that kind of went on for most of the school year and then we decided hey we've got to grow up we've got to become men only one of us can like her that's the only way this will work and so we decided that valentine's day was going to be the moment of demarcation it was going to be the moment of clarity and so if any of you remember you know valentine's day when you were a kid in a public school you'd make those little valentine's day bags you know with your name on it you would decorate it they'd be up at the front of the room and everybody you had to bring a card for everybody right and so you would bring a card with candy or whatever it was if you're rich you brought a card with candy otherwise you just brought a card and i remember i knew that this was gonna be the moment for david and i and so uh, like, who does she like? And so I thought, I can't just bring a normal little card. I've got, to, I've got to go over the top. And so I got this poster board and folded it in half. And I'm like, I'm gonna make the world's biggest card that she can't miss and folded this thing in half. And on the front of it, I drew a heart and not, not the shape of a heart. I drew a, an anatomically correct heart. You know, like, just like I wanted her to know I was a man, not a little kid, you know? And my favorite part of the heart was I drew blood shooting all out of it. And on the inside, this was where the card got beautiful. I, I wrote, Kristen M, my heart is exploding with love, <laughs> which I thought Hallmark's gonna call me and ask me to just like, hey, can you come make cards for us? Cause it was just gold, you know? So here's this card. And then on the right side of the, the card, I wrote the infamous question that, that I think most of us, if we're really honest, this is the question that we still live so much of our lives by. Do you like me? Check what, somebody help me out so you guys did this too, huh? And so that's the question that most of us live by. Do you like me? It's a question that we live with in our family unit, in our offices, with our neighbors. Hey, do you like me? Check yes or no. So I made this epic card. I was a little bit nervous, walked into Miss Artisan's class on that Valentine's Day, couldn't hide that card. A L- little nervous, feeling a little bold, like a little Casanova, walk in and does not fit in the bag. Have to just put it behind her bag. And I look over and her face immediately turns red, which in the moment I thought was a sign of love, like love is rising up in her. It, it was actually humiliation that was rising up in her. And I'll never forget this, she walks up in front of all of her friends and she takes a pencil, she opens it up and she just X's out the note, like, I know, I know. And it was like, oh! And that was the moment where I began to experience the way that the world understands love. Because in an instant, she went from being the one, like she went from being my soulmate, like in an instant, this is before I met Sydney, you know. um, Went from being my soulmate to all of a sudden she's my arch enemy. (laughs) And for the rest of elementary school, she's my arch enemy. I'm like, hey, if you're not gonna like me, I'm not gonna like you. If you're not gonna love me, I'm I'm not gonna love you because this is the way that love operates in the context of the world. Hey, do you like me? Yes or no? Okay, I like you or I don't like you. And is not just true when we're eight. I learned this again years later, all along the way. But I remember this moment. I was 28 years old. We had just started Ethos a year or two before. And God was doing some neat things in our church family. There was this guy in our church at the time who was really uh, connected, served, just did all sorts of things. We could really count on him. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of disappeared. And I remember I was like, oh, man, where'd he go? What's going on? And so I finally got a hold of him. And he and I went and met up for coffee one day. And, we're kind of shooting the breeze and talking about you know work and life and all that and then we got to the question that i wanted to ask i said hey I, i've missed you you haven't been around church recently is everything okay and he said yeah i'm doing he said i'm doing great he said he said i'm still good with jesus i'm like okay i felt good about that he said i found another church and i'm like hey i'm fine with that as long as you love jesus i said but here's a question i said i said why did you leave what's the deal why'd you leave and he goes well do you want the truth and and this is the moment, you know, where just to be fair, you should never ask anyone a question that you don't want an honest answer to. And I said, yeah, I said, tell me the truth. And he goes, honestly, he goes, I just don't like you. And I was like, oh, I'm like, you don't like the church? You don't, and he's like, no, I don't like you. I don't, I'm like, bro, we're in the South. You're supposed to lie to me. You're supposed to say something else and to keep the real reason hidden. And but he told me the truth. And you know what's amazing? It, Like the moment he said, I don't like you, guess what happened in my heart? I thought, I don't like you either. (laughs) And it was crazy how for like the next year, the enemy just had this grip in my heart where I'd I'd hear his name and I thought, oh man, I hope hope things aren't going good for him. I know most of you are more spiritual than me and you probably never felt that. But man, isn't it crazy that the way that the world operates in the context of love Hey, do you like me? Yes or no, okay, that, then, then I will like you or I won't like you or I'll, I'll respond to you. And guys, we're, we're living in a moment where you see the world's way of love on full display all around us. We see this in our politics. We see this in our schools. We, we see this in our families. We see this infiltrating churches like crazy. This, the, the, this spirit of love. But guys, this is what we've seen over the last couple of days in our nation. It's what we've seen. And man, just to be clear, man, I I praise God that the injustice of Roe v. Wade was overturned. I'm like so grateful to God for that. I'm so grateful to God for that. But listen, if we are not careful, if we're not careful, the spirit of the world, the rules of of the world will co-opt your heart, will will, will co-opt the church, And all of a sudden, we will find ourselves acting and living and loving in ways that in no way reflect King Jesus and in no way bring about this sense of like, hey, God is doing something amongst those people. Like the moment we find ourselves in, it it leads to tribalism. You know, the world just goes, hey, here's how love works. You love people that love you. You like people that like you. And if they don't love you, you don't like them, you don't get together, and so we get together in tribes and, and, and we hate people that don't think the way that we do, see things the way that we do, and when we get in these tribes, and we're polarized, and I believe what we're witnessing right now in a, in a crazy way in our nation and across the world, but what we're witnessing is the death of civility. We're, we're witnessing the inability for human beings who see things differently to treat each other with kindness, and grace and compassion and strength and love. And here's a question I want us to wrestle with this morning is as disciples of Jesus, how do we learn to genuinely love people even if they genuinely dislike you? (laughs) How do we learn to genuinely love people even if they genuinely do not like you? And this is one of the things that I think is so beautiful and perplexing and disruptive and, curious and amazing about Jesus. And this is what we've been doing all summer. Every, every Sunday, we just take one little moment from his life and we're just fixing our eyes on Jesus going, hey, as, as we take our eyes off of the newsfeed, as we take our eyes off the people around us, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we believe that transformation begins to happen. We're going, hey Jesus, how in the world did you genuinely love people when they genuinely disliked you? And how do you begin to fill us with that same kind of love? And so here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to look at Jesus, his life and his teachings. I want us to wrestle with how he got there. And then we're just going to pray for a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in our church family that that sort of otherworldly kind of supernatural love would stir up in us. So I want to start with with Jesus' teaching. Look at Matthew chapter 5 with me. This is the passage that Drew just read over us. And I want you to notice that Jesus' teaching here, even though it's uncomfortable, it is it is, it is not some fringe aspect of his life. This is not just some casual statement that he made. This was central to his teaching. And look at how it starts, Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 43. Jesus goes, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I just wanna pause for a moment. Anytime Jesus begins a teaching with, you've heard that it was said, Something and you should just kind of go off, little alarm bell should go off and you should say, okay, Jesus with a smile on his face is getting ready to tell me that everything I think I know about this subject is wrong. And so he's, he's smiling at his disciples. He goes, hey, you've heard that it was said. This is the way that love operates. He goes, but let me tell you something different. Verse 44, he goes, but I'm gonna tell you the truth. Here's how love operates in the kingdom. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Don't even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so Jesus goes, hey, let me paraphrase for just a moment. He goes, hey guys, here's the deal. If you buy into the world's law of love, where you love people that love you and like people that like you, he goes, you are no better than the world. He goes, even the worst people you know do that. <laughs> but not so for you, not for disciples, not for my people. <laughs> he goes, that's, that's, not, that's not our way of love. Jesus goes, I don't want you to just love the person when they check yes, I don't want you to just like the person when they like you. I don't want you to just tolerate them when they tolerate you. He goes, I want you to find the person that you deem your enemy, that they deem you their enemy and I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. I want you to work for their flourishing, for their good. And I just imagine his disciples, they're sitting there. They're not super Christians. They're ordinary people just like us. And I imagine they're sitting there and they're going, this dude's gotta be joking. How's this work? Doesn't he know what it's like to live under the Roman occupation? Doesn't Jesus know what it's like to have a really difficult boss? Doesn't Jesus know what it's like to live next door to your mother-in-law for 17 years? Doesn't Jesus know? And Jesus goes, hey, here's, here's what it is that I'm calling my disciples to. Not the world's way of love, transactional. I like you, you like me. I love you, you love me. He goes, no, even if. They genuinely dislike you. I'm calling you to love them, to pray for them, to bless them, to work for their good. And let's just stop here for a moment and go, wow, this is this is otherworldly kind of stuff. And it's not just Jesus' teaching. You see this in Jesus' life. We can look at so many moments where Jesus genuinely loved people that genuinely disliked him. And I'll just give you a few examples. I think about John chapter 13, the night before Jesus is betrayed by his very closest friends. John chapter 13, what does Jesus do just a few hours before he's arrested and betrayed, he gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of the ones that are getting ready to sell him out. Guys, how amazing is that? How different, I mean, if I was Jesus and I was doing that, I would have at least washed those feet in the most passive aggressive way ever. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just gonna rub a sore spot. Jesus loved them. He blessed them. A few hours later, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the the crowd comes, the mob comes, the Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus. I just want you to just think about this moment for a second, one of my favorite scenes in all the scriptures. The mob is there, the the Roman soldiers are there. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, pulls out a sword, tries to kill one of the Roman soldiers. He's a terrible aim, cuts the soldier's ear off. And I just want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes for just a moment, if you knew, if the person arresting you was about to take you away to be beaten and crucified and his ear had just been cut off, how would you have responded? I would have grabbed that dude's ear. I would have thrown it in the woods. I would have grabbed that ear. Maybe I would have healed him, but put it on upside down. So every time he met a new girl, she's like, what's up with your ear? And he's like, well, there's a story. What's Jesus do? He heals him. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of that soldier for a moment. I bet you this sat with him for the rest of his life. The dude that he's come to arrest heals him and he still has to put the cuffs on his hands and lead him away and watch him be crucified. And guys, this love, it is so otherworldly. So what happened the next day is Jesus was hanging on the cross. His arms are stretched out. People are mocking him, beating him, abusing him. And what is pouring out of him on the cross? It is this divine, supernatural, otherworldly kind of love. I love the prayer that Jesus prays on the cross. He goes, Father, would you forgive them? They have no idea what they're doing. In other words, Jesus is praying for their salvation as they are mocking him in his crucifixion. He's going, Father, will you do whatever you need to do so that my enemies could hang out with us forever eternally? Different level of love. And in Matthew chapter five, Jesus teaches on this, that passage we just read, and I want you to hear this. It's not a suggestion for us, his disciples. He's not going, hey, it'd be nice if you got around loving this sort of way. He goes, he goes no, this is the standard of love in my kingdom. And if you want to be with me, don't just love people that are like you. Don't just celebrate people that are like you. I want you to love those that even genuinely dislike you and stand against you. And I know a whole lot of Christians who love this passage of scripture, who affirm this passage of scripture, who teach this passage of scripture, but I know very few Christians who live it out. And I believe we are in a moment where we are being invited by God to live in love in ways the world desperately needs to see. And so the, que- the question is, how in the world? like, How do we begin to live out this kind of love? And there's, there's all these things we can look at. I just want to give you three kind of simple snapshots from Jesus' life this morning. As we think about the way that that we live from this place of genuine love, even if people dislike us. And if you take notes, the first snapshot is this, is that Jesus was free to love his enemies because he knew he was freely loved by his Father. He was free to love his enemies because he knew he was freely loved by his Father. That moment in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus is 30 years old, he's stepping into his earthly ministry And he's baptized and there's a moment where he comes up out of the water and the spirit of God descends upon him and this voice, this audible voice from heaven comes and I I love what the father says over Jesus in that moment. He goes, this is my son who I love with him. I'm so well pleased. I love this, before Jesus had preached a sermon, forgiven a sin, healed a sick person, raised from the dead, died on the cross, before he had broken the grip of hell and sin and shame, before Jesus had done anything like that, the Father goes, Jesus, I love you simply because you are, not because of what you do. Jesus knew, he was was baptized. In the love of the Father at the very beginning of his ministry, I believe that the baptism of the Spirit is a baptism of love where the love of heaven begins to flood the human heart and you and I begin to believe above and beyond everything else that we are freely loved by God. You didn't earn it. You didn't serve your way into it. You didn't give your way into it. You didn't obey your way into it. You are loved by God. And only when you realize that the Father's love is free do you become free to love people that don't like you. Only when we believe the love is free. Jesus was freely loved. So he had the, the ability to freely love. I remember a couple of years ago, one of my mentors, he was working in his, his, his job. He, had, he was really high up in the company that he was in there was a moment where the company was wrestling with some of their public policies and it came out in that context that that my friend is a follower of Jesus and all of a sudden that did not that did not sit well with some of his uh, fellow coworkers and so there was this kind of all out uh, assault on him to get him fired to get him canceled to get him kind of kicked out of the company my friend was really wrestling with how do i how to do this it's over 2 years there was this real there was this assault on who he was on his character there were these lies that were spread this misinformation he had to go under he had to go under this investigation by the board at his company They tried to to ruin his marriage, spread lies about him having extramarital affairs. All, it was just crazy hard, couple of years. In the midst of the investigation, he was completely cleared of any wrongdoing. All of the lies were proven. But in the midst of the investigation, he learned who was behind all of the misinformation that was being spread. And it was in that moment where my friend discovered his enemies that I actually discovered that my friend was a disciple of Jesus. Because once he learned the name behind the attacks, I watched him for the next year and a half love and serve and bless and work for the flourishing of this person that was trying to bring him down. And I went, man, how do you do that? How do you love those that genuinely dislike you? Only when you believe you've been freely loved by God. Jesus loved, he was free to love because he was freely loved. Kind of second snapshot, Jesus, was free to love because he had been freed from needing everybody to like him. <laughs> he was free to love because he'd been freed from needing everybody to like him, John chapter two. This moment early on in Jesus's ministry, right after he was baptized, he goes in and he cleanses the temple, which that's another story for another day, did not earn him a lot of friends. And so he goes in and he cleanses the temple. And there's people that were against him, but look at John chapter two. Starting in verse 23, it says, later on, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and they believed in his name. I love this. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people and he did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. That's a strange little story, but I want you to notice this. Here we are at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He He is a burgeoning celebrity. He could do no wrong in the eyes of most people at this moment. People were believing in his name, they were praising his name, all of these things were happening. But here's what's so stunning to me, is years later, Jesus would face an onslaught of unfair criticism, and the reason he could deal with unfair criticism was because years earlier, he knew how to steward praise. There's a connection between these two things. If you don't know how to steward praise, you will be crushed by criticism. It was in the days of praise that Jesus knew, hey, if I entrust my heart to the people's praise, then my heart will be destroyed when the criticism comes. He knew that if the praise went to his head, that one day the criticism would crush his heart. And so praise isn't bad. He doesn't blow it off. He doesn't write it off, but he goes, hey, I'm not meant to find my identity there. I'm not meant to entrust myself there. This is the the, the challenge and the danger of social media, and this is not a sermon against social media, but what I will say is if you spend day in and day out fishing for people's likes, you will be destroyed when they quit liking you. If your soul learns to cultivate the need for people approval, you will crumble when people no longer approve of you. And Jesus says, this comes with the territory of being a disciple, John chapter 15, Jesus goes, hey, here's the deal. Sometimes the world is going to hate you because they hate me. If you think they've hated me, watch until you see what they do to you at times. Because sometimes that just comes with the territory. (laughs) But Jesus was free to love, not just because he was freely loved by his father, but he'd been set free from the need of having everybody and everyone like him all the time. He's free to love them. I remember when I was 14 years old, I became friends with a guy named Lee Cook. Lee and his wife, Amy, are part of our church family here in Nashville now. We've been friends since I was a kid. And Lee and Amy undoubtedly are two of the funniest people I know and just hilarious people. And one of the things I love about Lee is, Lee has always been uh, really funny because he never really cared if everybody liked him or understood him. And, and that's part of just kind of hand in hand with Lee's version of comedy. So I remember when I was 14 years old, we were on this, this youth van driving up to a youth retreat and we're on this bus. And I'm like, Lee, man, you gotta tell me your secret for being funny. Like you're, you're hilarious. And, and he said, well, you know, he said you have to know your audience and and he goes and you have to be okay if everybody in the audience doesn't like you all the time and uh, and he's like that's just part of it and it, it brilliant 14 year old you know i'm like that's, that's that's pretty amazing and i've seen that play out in their life i see it every single year um they send out a christmas card if you're not on the cook's christmas card list just become their friend so you can get on the christmas card list but i remember uh, 10 years ago best christmas card i've ever got in my life this was the christmas card they sent us that's a real Christmas card. It's ridiculous. And I remember getting that in the mail and I called Lee, I'm like, dude, you are not right. What is going on? And he's like, actually, it was Amy's idea. And, uh, and I'm like, you guys are hilarious. And he goes, yeah, but not everybody thought so. And then he, he goes on to tell me, you know, how, how many people on their mailing list did not like that. And, and just their ability to be funny Is because they've been set free from needing everybody like them. Our ability to to really love the way that Jesus loves, we've gotta be set free from the need of everybody liking us. In order for that to happen, it's not just how we deal with criticism, it's how we deal with praise. Jesus was free to love because he was freely loved. Jesus was free to love because he was set free from needing everybody to like him. One more thing, Jesus was free to love because he had been set free by the truth. He'd been set free by the truth. He was, he was not imprisoned to all of the lies of the world. I love John chapter eight. Jesus goes, hey, uh, you're my disciple if you hold to my teaching. And if you hold, my, hold to my teaching, he goes, you'll have the truth and the truth will set you up. Somebody shout out, the truth will set you Truth will set you free. He goes, he goes, there's this freedom that comes, not just because you're freely loved and not just because you've been set free from needing everybody like you. He goes, there's this freedom that comes when you ingest the truth of God into the primal places of who you are. And this cuts across so many different realities. But guys, let's just think about it in the context of love for just a moment. We live in a world that is constantly perpetuating lies when it comes to the reality of love. We're constantly just being bombarded by lies about love. And I can give you a lot of examples. I'll just give you one example. We we live in a world that says, unless you like me and affirm me and celebrate me and agree with me in regards to everything, you don't love me. Guys, that's a lie. (laughs) That's a lie. (laughs) You know, Sydney doesn't agree with everything I think or say or do, unfortunately and she still loves me. I'm not allowed to disagree with her. <laughs> but if I were, I could disagree with her and still love her. Our, our boys, sometimes they hold opinions and I go, I, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that, I still love you. Our, our, our world is constantly gonna go, hey, unless, unless this, unless this, unless this, unless this, is not love, and I go, guys, that's not true. John three sixteen for God so what? Shout it out, for God so? For God so loved the world. Did, did he agree with, affirm, celebrate, stand shoulder to shoulder with every decision the world is making? No. He loved the world. And so he gave his son for the world, the world in which he largely disagrees with everything we're doing. Romans 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians chapter 1, 21 and 22, when you and I were enemies of God in our minds because of the evil that we had done, Christ offered himself up. See, this is the truth. The truth is, that you can be righteous. The truth is that you can long for holiness. The truth is you can celebrate goodness. The truth is you can have conviction and still love, still serve, still die for those that don't agree with any of the things you agree with. See, the world's gonna say that can't happen. Pick a side, lob your grenades. And I gotta go, no, we, we worship the God who bleeds for his enemies. We worship the God who, in his attacks against him, kept his mouth silent and let his outstretched arms be the declaration of how much he thought about the people that were crucifying him. And then he looks at us and he goes, this is the standard of love that I'm calling you to. And guys, just putting all my cards on the table, I look at this and I go, man, only the Holy Spirit can help us do this. There's not like three steps to heavenly love. It's like we need a baptism of the Holy Spirit where we go, we are freely loved. So we are set free from needing everybody to like us. We are anchored in the truth of God so we can hold to what is true and we can love people that don't see it that way so that the bleeding heart of God brings about renewal in a broken world. See, we're in a moment right now where I believe the church is in great danger of being co-opted by the spirit of the age. And if we're not careful, we will take the gospel message and we will try to live it out with a worldly, godless spirit. (laughs) And Jesus is going, no, there's more than that. (laughs) There's more than that. And so here's, here's what I wanna do this morning we're gonna, we're gonna go to the table of grace like we do every week and we're gonna take the bread and we're gonna receive the cup and we're gonna be reminded that when we were not yet friends of God, God loved us and came for us. And that as we literally take the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ in, into our bodies, we're going, hey, Lord, would you transform us from the inside out as we look at your way of love? Would you, would you heal us from the inside out? Would you, just, would you help us to love others the way that you love others? And we're just gonna invite God to do that as we confess sin around the table, as we pray together. I wanna encourage you to get together and do this. Um, there are some of you, I, I, in a room this size, I guarantee you, there's someone in the room that's mad at somebody else in this room. There's somebody in this room that has an enemy with somebody else in this room. Guys, please don't go to the Lord's table without starting with your brother or your sister. And just go, hey, would you forgive me? Get down and pray for each other, care for each other. Because unless God's house is walking in this way of love, we will never walk it out in the streets. (laughs) And so we're just gonna pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit as we break the bread and receive the cup, that the revelation of Christ's love for you would become real in your life, that that love would bubble up as you look at others, that there would be reconciliation that happened happen in the room. We'll have men and women that respond banner, we'd love to pray for you. But let's stand together and I just wanna pray a blessing over us as we go to the table. Father, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Holy Spirit, I love you, and I just thank you that your love for us is foundationally different than the love that the world tries to disciple us in. God, forgive us for the ways in which the the world's love has co-opted our hearts and has taken our attention. Forgive us for the ways that we have withheld love from others because they withheld love from us. Forgive us, Lord, for taking the ways of the world and trying to baptize those ways with Christian language and pretend it's the gospel. God, help us. Help us to love, help us us to be agents of heaven in the world right here and right now. God, help us to be men and women of truth and conviction, but heavenly love with outstretched arms and bleeding hearts. God, would you use that? Just like the soldier sat at the foot of the cross and went, my goodness, this must be the son of God. Lord, may people encounter the love of Jesus through us this week and go, my goodness, there must be a God. Help us, give us opportunities, Lord. Jesus, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on Ethos Church this morning? Baptize us afresh in your Holy Spirit, God. Pour out your spirit of love. And we don't come this morning just asking for gifts or for breakthrough or for new assignments or new ministry, God. We come asking that the God of love would fill his church with love, that would become a people of love, that would stand and live and kneel and die and serve in love, that the world would know that you indeed are a God who so loved them that you gave your one and only son for them. And so God, may our lives be an accurate reflection of who you actually are. And so as we break the bread and receive the cup and pray this morning, would you do that? In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, I love you. Let's go to the communion tables. Let's find each other and pray and reconcile if you need. Come to the respond banner and receive prayer if you need it. Love you very much.